Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au. Welcome to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Well, on January 15, we lost a legendary Australian sports journalist, a sports editor and a pioneer of the craft. Scott Palmer passed away at the age of 84, leaving an indelible mark on journalism and revolutionising how Australian football was covered. Scott was a central figure in some of the biggest stories in footy history at The Sun, The Sunday Press, The Sunday Sun and The Sunday Herald Sun. He didn't play, coach or umpire, but the Prince of Print had newspaper ink running through his veins. His cry of keep on punching was his entertaining signature, and he would go on to become one of the first multimedia performers on TV with Channel 7 and on radio with 3UZ. He even played himself in a feature film, the classic Aussie flick, The Club. And today we pay tribute to one of the great characters, the late Scott Palmer. Two men who knew him better than most, long-time Herald Sun journalist Glenn McFarlane and veteran broadcaster Sandy Roberts. And we've got a challenge ahead of us here, Macca. So many stories and so little time for a man who started as a copy boy on the Sun News Pictorial in 1954. Think about that when you think about it, Sam. 1954, it's a long time ago. He uh, he was told, he went to Trinity College, guys, and he was told by his headmaster, even though his dad was the legendary Clyde Palmer, who was on hand when Squizzy Taylor was shot in 1927. He was a great crime writer. Scotty was told at Trinity College that he would never amount to becoming a journalist, that, that it wasn't his uh, his vocation in life. And Scotty thought to himself, bugger that, I'm going to prove this principle wrong. And he sure did. Uh, got a job on two days before Christmas, 1954, and um, became a cadet there as well, was just standing around hoping to get a job. And then all of a sudden, the uh, managing director walked past and saw this young kid there. He said, what are you doing, kid? He says, I'm trying to get a job. So the managing director said, give this kid a job now. Therein uh, it was the start of an amazing journalistic career. Actually, you can you can just see, Glenn, Scotty Palmer, the Scotty Palmer that we knew, do that. <laughs> you can, Sandy. That was the thing, I reckon, that he... He actually loved giving people a chance, didn't he, Sandy? Whether yeah, it was yeah. journalism, TV, footballers, he loved that. Just giving people a chance. And I've got to say, I wouldn't be still in journalism now without Scott Palmer. Uh, well, I think you wouldn't be on your own on that one either. I reckon the other amazing thing about him, a lot of people that change media, in other words, go from newspapers to television or radio, they don't do it relatively late in their careers. Scotty would have been in his early 40s when um, Gordon Bennett and Gary Fenton decided that uh, this cheeky little journo could be handy on television. And that was the start of Channel 7 and his association. And from the team in Brisbane, we got news tonight, Pete. A former rugby star, now stockbroker Paul Morgan, has added an $8 million financial icing to the bid by the Queensland Football League and Paul Cronin Consortium to win the licence up there. Morgan has agreed to underwrite the plan and, if necessary, provide another $2 million in bridging finance for the first 6 to 12 months. Morgan was the man who underwrote the successful movie Crocodile Dundee. Who knows what he might call the team they get up there, Pete. Back to you, mate, and keep on punching. 
And he, t- he took to it like a duck to water. Well, that's probably not quite right with the number of takes he had at some stages. To the officers of the Sunday Herald Sun and Scott Palmer. Good evening, Scotty. Good morning, Drew. Or good, good evening, Drew. Good morning. Yeah. <laughs> Where have you been? <laughs> well, we're bringing out a morning paper. That's what it is. He, he, was, he was confident. Uh, he was clear and he was controversial. Yeah, you know, I think that sums him up. They called it yeah. Scotty Lotto too, Sam. They, <laughs> they did. When he first started doing it, um, he had that yeah, many yes. takes. I think they called it. Is that right, Sandy? They called it yeah. Scotty Lotto? What happened was um, the, the videotape crew uh, who sit in videotape and then the producer flicks a button and tells them and their talent we're recording. So uh, off they would go and Scotty would start and he'd make a blue. And what would happen, he'd often make the same blue, you know, he'd have a script and he'd just get to a certain point and he'd stuff it up and he'd have to start again. And they had this, so they decided to form Scott Lotto. It was all in fun. It didn't matter. And he, he still got there, but it just took him a while early on to, to get it right. Well, it was perfectly imperfect. It was part of the charm in the end, Sandy. And, and yeah. in fact, to call him a news hound almost pigeonholes him because he was equal part entertainer as well. Exactly right. I mean, if you look back at some of those highlights of the, the Palmer's punchlines and keep punching and whatever, and the masks that often he'd wear and the paraphernalia that he'd bring in. And he, he's one of those, he was one of those people who found himself with a cult following. I mean, his small in stature, chubby, chumpy little bloke, <laughs> feisty, but he endeared himself to so many people, particularly, Glenn, to the footy world. I mean, it's it's hard enough for uh, those that love the game but haven't played it to get the credibility of those that have been involved in it for a long time. But, but Scotty had it in spades, didn't he? He sure did, Sandy. He was a performer, as you said. His mum was a Tivoli showgirl, so you can see where he got the performer from. He loved an audience. And as you say, to get the respect of not only the footballers and the sports people and and whoever else he interviewed, but the public. Sandy, you would have been out with him, and I I spent a lot of time with him, thankfully. I look back now, and the amount of times that people yelled out, keep punching, Scotty, every time you're with him. And you know what? Never once did he uh, get angry at it, or he he saw that as just one of the the, the badges of honour that he was able to have through his journalism career. He had an ego, Sandy. We know he had an ego, but it was a good (laughs) ego in the sense that he didn't mind taking the the P1 double S out of himself in, in a sense to, um, you know, because he knew it was part of the story and he loved being part of the story. And as Eddie Maguire said in one of our tributes on the weekend, he didn't just break the stories. He was a part of the stories. And I think that's the beauty of Scott Palmer. Not only could he break stories, but he could keep one under his hat uh, <laughs> as well. But Glenn, I first met him in 1980 when Channel 7 covered the Moscow Olympics. And we could only take, I think, 51 staff because of the problems with Russia and Afghanistan. And that was my first meeting with Scott, who came on board as uh, the news reporter, if you like, news journalist. Uh, He would be the one that wouldn't be going out and calling sports or attending sports, but he'd be sitting in a makeshift newsroom and just setting up bulletins and things like that to send back to Australia. Even then, I could I was touched by his enthusiasm. I mean, he, he wasn't confined just to football. He was he was a, he was an all sportsman, and you could just tell that he, he loved sport. 
generally. He did. There's no doubt. And the Olympics as well. Like we think about his footy. Yeah. But he absolutely adored the Olympics yeah. and, and was lucky enough to go to so many of them, you know, in a, in a lot of ways. He, he remembered that Moscow one very fondly. Um, but he's also in, uh, he was also in Munich in 1972 and not far away from the Israeli compound when, uh, you know, just before the, uh, the the massacre that, you know, in a sense changed the sporting world forever. And he was reporting on that back in 1972. He, he recalls, you know, I think one of his favourites, I think was was 1992 uh, in Barcelona, Sandy, Barcelona. Where was, yeah, where he was able to meet uh, Nelson Mandela which was incredible to be able to meet Nelson Mandela. And I think the beauty of Scotty, Sandy, and you would have seen this as well. And Sam, you would have absolutely seen it in your role at the Herald Sun for a period is Scotty regaled. He was a great storyteller, um, both with the, the mm. with the pen or the typewriter and also the way he spoke. And I reckon by the time he told the story about Nelson Mandela and meeting Mandela and, and meeting <laughs> Muhammad Ali or Cassius Clay, you actually got the feeling that the, the celebrity or the world figure was just as proud to meet Scotty Palmer <laughs> as he was of meeting them. And in a way, his charm, that probably said it all, didn't it? Extraordinary, yeah. Hey, also, Glenn, tell me, he was a Collingwood man, wasn't he? He was, born and bred in Richmond. Um, so a lot of people thought that he was uh, a Richmond supporter, but he was a passionate Collingwood fan, Sandy. And I think, you know, he had the heartache of all those grand final losses and he didn't cover the 58 grand final because he was doing general news for the first 10 years of his life. But that's why 1990, guys, that meant so much to Scotty. I just give my congratulations to all the Collingwood boys. Apparently, the uh, the place is awash out there with beer cans. There's been windows broken, but no one's minding because it's celebration time out there at Vic Park. Just wonderful. Everyone's Collingwood today, and, and um, God bless them. To cover right. that game, to write the front page. And, Sam, he... Um, he got a trip. He wangled a trip to uh, to London to go with uh, the Collingwood boys on their end of season trip. In a really, um, and reported over there from the game that they played against Essendon in London. And uh, and he, there's a great photo that remains of one of his great. He loved you know outstanding rock star footballers, and Darren Mullane was one of his favourites. So there's a great photo that exists from that. London game with Scotty and Darren Mullane. Oh yeah, that's what a what a sad period that was uh, for not only for Collingwood fans, but for footy fans generally. How close were you to him right throughout his career? Close in the second part of his career, Sandy. I, I, I met, I, I grew up um, watching uh, the big league and, and getting the paper. I'd love to go down in the morning and it was this is before home deliveries. You couldn't get the Sunday home delivered back when I was a kid. So you used to have to go around the milk bar and pick it up and I'd come around and I'd read Palmer's punchline straight away. I loved it, Sandy. Scotty actually used to love the fact that to think that people would cons- wait all day and then consume it with a nightcap on Sunday nights. That's what he liked to think. But uh, So I first met him in the Herald Sun cafeteria or back then uh, in old Flinders Street and it was uh, 1989. I just started there as a fresh-faced cadet and this booming voice came into the cafe and I think, as you know, both, both of you would know, you heard Scotty before you saw him, um, the big, <laughs> booming voice. And so I, I wanted to go up and get his autograph, but I, I'm working there. I've got to be a bit, you know, you've got to be a bit professional in your in your new job. But as it turned out, three months later, he was looking for a sports reporter. And I was this untried kid from the northern suburbs, failed footballer who didn't quite make it, who always wanted to be a journalist. He gave me a chance. And so I reckon I've spoken to him on and off. You know, I worked with him for, for, for 25, well, 28 years, I think I worked with him 
partners sort of behind him and worked alongside him. And, and, and since he's retired in 2008, I'm really proud to say we probably spoke once a week and it was him more so ringing me to see how I was, but also what's what's happening. He still wanted to know what was going on in the free yeah. world. And more more often than not, he was giving me a story all these years on, Sandy and, and Sam. Just take this quick break on this uh, on this special edition of This Is Your Journey. It is thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. If you're just catching up with us, we're paying tribute to the late Scott Palmer with the help of two of his great mates, the Herald Sons, Glenn McFarlane and veteran Channel 7 broadcaster Sandy Roberts. We'll be right back after this short break. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, it's great to have your company on a special edition here of This Is Your Journey, made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We're reminiscing over the life of Scott Palmer with the help of the Herald Sun's Glenn McFarlane and Channel 7's longtime broadcaster Sandy Roberts. Some of Scott's big footy stories, Macca, and there were plenty of those, but Tommy Hafey had the milk bar in Richmond and Scotty would go there and hang around the jukebox at, uh, at Tommy's milk bar. In fact, Tommy's <laughs> wife Lorraine even worked for him for a time, but years later at the Rising Sun Hotel, over in South Melbourne on a Friday night, as Scotty would explain it, he was told that days later on the Sunday morning that the great Tommy Hafey would be sacked as coach after four premierships. He, in fact, went on to write it 24 hours to 48 hours before it even happened, Scotty. Yeah, he's a freak, wasn't he, in that sense? And it was a, an interesting scenario because, as, as you know, guys, um, Scotty and Lorraine, his beautiful wife Lorraine, were so tight with Tom and Maureen Hafey, and it was a it was a difficult decision for Scotty to write it, but he was, number one, a professional, and he knew without fear or favour he got that off his old man he had to tell the story and in telling the story you think about that guys like you're talking about a sacking of a of a four-time premiership coach Richmond a legend and in doing so Scotty kept the broke the story I think he ended up on Tommy's doorstep late uh, on one of the nights as well to actually do it and to explain to try and get a quote Tommy was really angry for a period and he desperately wanted to know his source and I know Scotty privately told me this source and I'd never in my life ever give it up but I don't think he told too many other people that source because he wanted to protect that person and that's what Scotty did guys he protected sources it was an extraordinary story at the time like he broke a lot of stories Scotty you know uh, St Kilda to Moorabbin I remember the day guys in 93 and this is that was 76 the end of 76 when Tommy is sacked by uh, Richmond but then I can remember years later in 93 as a young kid guys I, I'm in the Herald Sun Flinders Street offices and Scotty goes to me I've got to go mate and this is like early afternoon I said where are you going oh I've got to go North Melbourne training session I said why are you going out there he goes Shimmer's about to find out he's going to get sacked and I said but he doesn't know he goes no he doesn't know but he's about to find out so Scotty got his bag and that's what he used to always do put his contact book which was the best in town into his bag he'd zip his bag up walked out and went off and broke the story and because he knew before coaches were sacked that they were about to be sacked guys that that doesn't happen these days does it no and uh, it's extraordinary. Tell me, uh, Glenn, was he involved very much with the Keep South at South and when they made the move north to Sydney? Yeah, he was, Sandy. As we know, he was such a traditionalist, wasn't he, that um, uh, that he loved the Victorian clubs and he wanted to look after the Victorian clubs. He was always supportive of keeping teams. He, didn't, he broke a lot of merger stories, guys, some that didn't happen and some that he actively worked against. I think there were a few with Fitzroy that, uh, that, he, that he worked against because he wanted to keep Fitzroy alive. 
life. And what he did, what he actually did, he was a Collingwood supporter, Sandy, but you know what? He was a a member of football. He had memberships to North Melbourne, Richmond when they were struggling. Um, He had memberships to Fitzroy. He went out and bought memberships to all the clubs that were struggling because he wanted to keep them alive. So that that was the way he was. He wanted to, he loved innovation and loved, um, you know, the modernization of footy, but he couldn't get away from what really, what what he fell in love with as a kid in the sport and wanted to keep those clubs. That sums sums him up perfectly, doesn't he? Anyone that does that, that goes out that buys five or six memberships for struggling clubs just to help them, uh, despite being an ardent Collingwood supporter, uh, it's quite extraordinary. A long-suffering Collingwood supporter too. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, I know, I know. He was one of the great storytellers that we said off the top, and there were few better in his arsenal than the Cherry Tree Hotel incident when, of course, it's incredible to even talk about it now, but the infamous drug lord of the time, Dennis Allen, held him and his son Lincoln at gunpoint. Now, understandably, you know, Scotty was keen to get drugs out of the establishment, so there was a few hairy moments while they went through that process, and he was held up at gunpoint, if you don't mind. Yeah, he was. Amazing. I'm sure he would have told you this story, Sandy, because he loved telling it as well. Dennis, Dennis Allen was drug lord of Melbourne. Like, there wasn't a lot that Dennis Allen, you know, didn't have control of, and he wanted to get, you know, he already had, he, he sort of had a little bit of a link in trying to get in, you know, Cherry Tree. I don't know if you know the Cherry Tree, guys. It's in the back streets of Richmond. It was a pretty rough area even in the 80s. It was where Squizzy Taylor, I think, first got done for stealing money out of the till. And Scotty took pride in that to try and rid drugs of, you know, rid the hotel of drugs. And Dennis Allen wasn't very happy with that. He lived around the corner and one day he turned up and the whole fa- a whole Palmer family used to work at the pub and Lincoln used to do a lot of work there. And Dennis Allen had the gun on him. And um, Scotty saw his life flash before him. Um, but you know what? They both stood their ground, which not a lot of people did with Dennis Allen. Not a lot of people <laughs> would actually do that with Dennis Allen and he used to warn people away in Richmond uh, from Dennis Allen and uh, they got out of it somehow with their lives and Dennis left his mortal coil not that long after that but it was an amazing experience that Cherry Tree Hotel that was so important he actually had it with Ron Barassi and Adrian Gallagher so pretty amazing to think that a journo who was writing negative stories sometimes about Ron actually was a business partner of his as well Extraordinary, and uh, you know what Glenn he's probably told that story 500 times I can tell you that every time I've heard him tell tell it it's like he's telling it for the very first time absolutely you know, the enthusiasm and the gushing and uh, he's probably put a bit of mayo on it over the years but nah. it's still a great story Hey, guys, oh, we need to talk about legacies as well, Sandy, as well, because um, I know Mac has got a few. You've got one that comes to mind, and many listeners perhaps this morning have been guests of the Van Sant Club, so his role in that? Yeah, yeah, he was a, a, a long-standing member of the Van Sant Club, which is basically uh, people that have been involved in sport, whether playing or, or uh, just being a part of it. The general feeling that we've been able to gauge in recent days from other members of the Van Sant Club that, was that everyone loved just sitting down with Scotty because most of these lunches, you, you've just got to grab a seat, so you're not necessarily placed next to someone. So if you've got an opportunity, for example, to sit next to Scotty, to regale the stories that he did and to see the enthusiasm that he had, and he, 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 wasn't, he wasn't afraid of talking to anyone. He, he, talked, he was a people person, and I think that's one of, one of his best traits. So he'll be very sadly missed at uh, the Van Sant Club. But I think also, wasn't he involved, uh, Glenn, in the uh, media association as far as footy's concerned? Yeah, he set that up, I think, uh, with, you know, with quite a number of people. Uh, the Australian Football 
Football Media Association. Back then, it was the the Footy Riders Association. And having been to a lot of those dinners, Sandy, you would have known they're a bit uh, bit wild. Some of those dinners, but he did love the Van Sank, didn't he? That was one area. <laughs> yeah. that even to the to the last moment of his life, he would always tweet. And he was a ripper. Like he, he was an old style journo who still used. He was the last man to use a typewriter in our building. The last really? man to use it. But he ended up finding Twitter, and in Twitter, he was able to have a different sort of audience. And and in that, he loved to post photos of of the Van Sank. He, he loved linking and communicating with people like yourself, Sandy, and he talked endless, endlessly about his trips to the Van Sank. But his legacy's massive, isn't it? When you look like oh, yeah. he set up so much and there are, uh, there wouldn't be a, journal, a sports journalist in Melbourne who's of my vintage or even a little bit younger or certainly older who wouldn't have been touched by Scotty Palmer. Sitting a day in the press box with Scotty was like extraordinary. He was the first of the multimedia personalities who went from print yep. to, to yep. TV and to radio and that as well. They don't make him like him anymore. They really no, don't. They don't, Glenn. Um, and I'll tell you what, um, I think of some of the people that uh, are members of the Van Sant Club, and Scotty's just so comfortable with them and love chatting with them. You know, you go back to the era of, of the great Peter Bedford. Doesn't have to be all football either. It can be Johnny Trevorrow. Um, I'm trying to think of names. The late Murray Wiedemann, of course, was always a, a welcome guest. Simon Beasley uh, is another one who loved to chat with him. Uh, Mark Dawson, former North Melbourne player. There are so many, and uh, the one common thing amongst all those people was Scott Palmer. Hey, guys, really appreciate your time today. Sandy Roberts, Glenn McFarlane, Scott Palmer will be sorely missed. There's no doubt about that, but you've both done a magnificent job in um, in, in paying tribute to a man whose legacy will live on forever. Really appreciate your time. Pleasure, Sam. And uh, I think it's uh, people might be surprised that the outpouring of grief and love that there's been for Scott Palmer, but I know that Glenn and I aren't because... Uh, we know just what a, a powerful and wonderful person he was. So thanks for the opportunity, Sam, of giving us a chance just to say a few words. Yeah, likewise. Well said, Sandy. Uh, he loved you. He absolutely loved you. And uh, thank you so much, Sam, for giving us the opportunity. You're with This Is Your Journey, and it's brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You can find them online at tobinbrothers.com.au. We were fortunate enough to speak to Scotty back in 2020 to sum up a life in journalism. So after this break... We'll bring you some of that interview, the foray into newspapers and the big move onto the small screen. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Journey. We're celebrating the life of Scott Palmer. Here's the best of our chat with Scotty in 2020. It was your famous sign-off, Scotty, but I don't feel like we can get started until we get a trademark, keep on punching. Can you indulge us? Sure we can. Keep on punching. Where did the catch come from, Scotty? Jack Cannon. I don't know if um, uh, you remember Jack Cannon, but uh, he was a famous journalist for the Herald. And uh, he became the editor of the Sunday Press, and he started his his column up with um, cannon shots. And um, he said, "You need a, uh, a, a a slogan that gets you gets them fired up." He said, "Keep on punching. Why don't you do that? You love your boxing, and that's how it started." With Clyde, your, your dad's line of work being, especially when he was the crime reporter, did you ever have some colourful characters who popped uh, over to the Palmer household? 
I sure did. I sure did. There were a lot of um, well-known people, colourful characters that knocked on the door. We never owned a house. I lived in a flat all my life. We never owned a car. We never went on a holiday uh, because my old man lived in taxis, loved work, and um, never never wanted to go away. And he just had so many contacts here that he had to keep in touch with them all the time. An amazing guy he was. He really was. But I missed out on a bit, I suppose, if you think that. You know, I never, never had a house of my own, always a flat. Amazing. And you would go on to enjoy, well, a long and distinguished career as a reporter and an editor at The Sun, Sunday Press, Sunday Sun, Sunday Herald Sun. But when did you get your first break in the media? School. I was a schoolboy. And I was actually started with the truth um, when I was at school and I became their uh, film critic, working on a Saturday and also uh, doing the films uh, through the week. I... I had a pass from Hoyts and a pass from independent theatres. And the first picture I commented on was the uh, Harlem Globetrotters. They brought out a picture and I did something on that. Is it true that you sat upright if the film was good, Scott, and you snored if it was a dud? That's right. That's exactly right. Jesus, you've been looking uh, into the past a bit. That's exactly oh. right. I had a little dinkus, a little dinkus, that if I had oh. a good picture... I, I love it. stood up and shouted out, yeah. And I'm sure when you were critiquing films there, Scott, you never thought you'd actually play yourself in a feature film, but you did exactly that, and you did it in the classic Aussie flick, The Club. Yeah, yeah, that was terrific too. I enjoyed doing that with Jack Thompson. An unusual thing, um, we did it at the Collingwood Ground, and well, Graham Kennedy was in, part, in a leading role there, and he'd played my old man in The Power Without Glory. And uh, we became fairly good mates. He used to say to me, just be yourself. Don't worry about anything. Just be yourself. And it was good fun. It was really good fun. Hollywood never called? No. <laughs> no. In fact, the funny thing is that I, I've got photographs and it's all the checks that I got from the, the club. Rights and all that sort of stuff. The royalty and they amount checks. To about 20, yeah, royalty checks. And they amount to about 20 bucks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, but I've still got them framed. Scott, when you did step up to cover the VFL, was that like getting a game in the seniors at that point, or had you broken that many stories it was a, a pretty seamless transition? A big time when I moved up to the uh, VFL. You know, I was with uh, Kevin Hogan and Rex Pullen and Jack Dunn, and um, it was wonderful, really. I thought, how how good is this? And just going out to training on a Tuesdays and Thursday nights, uh, to, we covered all grounds, was just wonderful. Meeting guys that you'd never dream of meeting, you know, um, Teddy Whitten at Footscray and, oh, and Bobby Skilton, who I spoke to the other day, he's having a bit of problem with his shoulder. And um, but seeing Bobby at, down at the uh, Lake Oval and and oh that was just fantastic really. And at Geelong, even Geelong, when I used to go down to, they used to Geelong was a bad one because you had to go down in a, tra a car and back again. And but I loved going down to Geelong. Bobby Davis was down there, and um, there were a few guys that used to hang around the the uh, ground 
and used to tell me all the little bits and pieces that went on. Oh, they were my leaks down there. It was good fun. It comes to relationship with players and coaches back in those days, I mean, how different was it? I mean, when you look at the modern game now and you're in the game um, for a long, long time, was it easier to form relationships back then and, and was it better in that sense? Oh, yeah. It was easier. It was better. And I say to people, people I met at that period, I'm still friends with now. I saw Michael Tuck. I've got a picture at here, here at home of me interviewing Michael Tuck after one of his premierships, and I'm sitting next to him in the dressing room. And, you know, there was those sorts of things you could do in those days. I was... It was fantastic, really. I've got great uh, rapport with a lot of p- people from uh, uh, Peter Hudson, who uh, lives down this way, um, Ian Wilson. And we, I meet up with Ian Wilson uh, at the local footy club down here. Uh, Tony Jewell um, is a good man. My wife made him a couple of um, masks to wear, wear for work. Uh, the other day, all those things. The re- relationships were so strong. Teddy Whitten was, and Barass, of course. I became uh, Barass's ghostwriter for about 15 years and went through hell with him because he used to make sure that every word was correct, every <laughs> full stop was there, and um, oh, it was painful, but it was fantastic, really, too. And he is probably... My idol, uh, Barass. I just love him. Tell me, was it the move into TV? And I want to know how that came about because it was as the pioneering presenter of Punchlines on Channel 7 that your legend truly grew, didn't it? Yeah, it was. Scotty and finally tonight, Richmond celebrating at last. Well, they haven't got much to celebrate, of course, but they're all out of Frankie Dimitina's restaurant over in Carlton tonight. Plenty of the vino going down the spaghetti. He'll uh, front the tribunal tomorrow, and uh, I think they're going to have to be pretty quick because they're going to Greg Healy's brother's wedding. That's right. 10 o'clock tomorrow morning, they uh, face the tribunal down there, and Jared is getting married down at St. Bede's Mentone to the lovely Lisa. He's been going with her for eight years. It's about time he married her. <laughs> and... Uh, Greg's an invited guest, and uh, uh, Greg is uh, Greg Williams is an invited guest, and the brother is the best man. Gordon Bennett, you know, he was a um, a young cameraman about seventeen or eighteen when I first met him, and he became sort of the, the producer of World of Sport, and and, uh, and a terrific character down at Channel Seven. In fact, he, he a legend at Channel Seven, and he used to come up, have a drink with me at Lou Richards. And I used to go down there on a Friday night and have a few drinks with him. And I said, Gordon, you don't get enough news down here. He said, well, what do you think I should do? I said, well, I could bring down some stories and you could get someone to um, put them over. So he said, why don't you come down for World of Sport and bring down some questions you can give, hand out to Jack Dyer and those guys. So I said, okay, I'll do that. So I did that for a couple of years and then, Listen, I might come up one night up to uh, the Sunday Sunday Press and um, we might do a bit of a film and see how you do it off the, off the desk. I said, okay. So he did it and it worked. And uh, 25 years later, I think I was still doing it. Punchlines was born. Were you a one-take wonder, Scott, or did you need a few cracks at it? No. Hey, 
I'll tell you a story. Down at Channel 7, the operators down there, they regarded me as something uh, unusual. They ter- they termed my little segment Scotty Lotto. It, they, they gambled on how many takes I did to get it right. <laughs> and um, 22 was the most I'd done. 22 takes I did one night to get it right. What made it the success that it was? The punchlines, I it was different because no one, and it was rough, a jacket on and didn't even comb my hair and, and it was just natural. That's what it was. Peter Dacos played a blistering game, but I believe he only just made it to the ground. He was panicking, Sandy, because uh, he got caught up in all the traffic out there. He was diverted by the police to a couple of roads that were dead ends and he didn't get to the ground until 10 past one raced him with his bag and the sweat was pouring off him and he thought, God, I've missed it, I've missed it. And a lot of people didn't mind me making the odd error when I first started. The others to face the tribunal will be Doug Barwick, who was booked by the emergency up by the name of D. Goldstink. They were, I think they were counting how many, would, how many I made. I know that the age, uh, because we were in opposition to the Sunday age, were very unhappy about me having the platform of Channel 7 to push push the Sunday press. And they used to write to Channel 7 and, ta- and ask them whether they could have somebody on as well. They felt that we were getting a, a leg up, which we were, of course. Um, but Channel 7 stuck with me and um, they didn't change it one thing. They said, you just go on the way you've been going. You're, you're doing all right. So that's how it started, and that's how it finished. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. It's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Journey, thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Scott Palmer led a life full of colour. All you had to do was ask him. We, we had a wonderful time down there, except that we had this drug dealer who was massive in the business. Oh, he ran the place, he ran the drugs. He thought he was in charge. And he used to come in, he'd get a, a small, tiny glass, bourbon and Coke, and put down $50 and le- leave the money there, leave the change there. And I used to say to the uh, barmaid, pick the money up, put it aside. Next time he came in, give it back to him. So we, we virtually weaned him off and we, we got rid of all the druggies that were waiting around for him to make the deliveries and all that sort of stuff. It was a very hazardous time. He used to shoot the place up every time we did something against him. Part of our masonry, the walls outside were blown away. It was like the old Wild West. Normal person would be afraid to walk in. Do you remember a bloke called Terry Holden? He used to be a, a crooner uh, for IMT. He was a terrific bloke and he had a, he ran, fell on bad times and rang me up one day and he said, um, I'm a short order cook now up at Ernie Sigley's hotel, the Australia Bridge Road. He's given me the flick. Have you got a room down at the Cherry Tree that I could rent? And uh, I, I had a few guys staying down there and I said, yeah, I think I have. I think I've got the, the honeymoon suite. He said, uh, what's the honeymoon suite? I said, well, it's the only bedroom with hot and cold running water in it. 
<laughs> anyway, he said, oh, do you reckon I could get it? And um, I said, uh, yeah. He said, what are you going to charge me? I said, oh, make it 20 bucks, uh, 20 bucks a week. He came down. And one night he was standing in the bar with me having a beer. Drug dealer came in. Terry must have looked at him badly or something because he said, what are you looking at? And Terry said, not much. And uh, anyway, he pulled the gun out of a gun on us, a pistol. He held it on us and uh, he said, I'm going to shoot your balls off. Testicles, he said. And he, he was waving this gun around. He held it on us and he was, one more word of you from you, Terry, and you'll, 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 you won't have any testicles. We're there for about an hour or more with this gun on us. And he was going to kill us. My son, who lived at the pub, and he saw what was happening and he went, went upstairs and he got his shotgun. He came down and he sat, he stood on the other side of the bar and pointed his shotgun straight at this guy. And he said, if you touch that trigger, I'll blow you to kingdom come. The bloke got a bit scared, dashed out. We, we were bloody thankful because that was a very dicey situation. The coppers got him, but the, we had to go to the uh, Paran court. The magistrate said to me, um, Mr. Palmer, um, when this bloke walked in, how was he behaving? I said, well, he walked in like Jimmy Cagney, the actor, with his, <laughs> his swaggering this way and swaggering that way. And you wouldn't believe there was a bloke uh, from Truth there at the court case. The Truth came out that week and said, um, headlines, you know, he walked in like James Cagney, said Palmer. Oh, I was made, the, <laughs> made the papers that way as well. But, you know, they were, they were amazing days. Speaking of boxing, isn't that where you cross paths with a certain Cassius Clay? Uh, Jack Cannon. Well, Jack Cannon was uh, there and he said, why don't you go out and see Cassius Clay train? So I said, oh, I will. So I caught a, a train out to um, Chalk Farm where the gym was and it was packed. There was cameras everywhere and, and he was boxing with um, Jimmy Ellis who went on to win a world title. He was the Cassius Clay sparring partner. We all went into the dressing room and um, Angelo Dundee was there, his trainer and all, pushing in, trying to get a good spot. They couldn't work out how to way Cassius. He was sitting there with just a robe on and a towel around him and um, they were trying to w work out how to work this machine and it was one of those sliding sliding weights that had to push it, push it across a bar till it levelled up and they couldn't work it so I said I think I can do that and I actually weighed him while he was standing there and he was, he was sweating like oh you know it was, he was, it was fantastic you couldn't wish to see a better figure of a man than, than Cassius mm. Clay. He was just wonderful. And uh, I start, start to talk to him, and then he said, where are you from? I said, oh, from Australia. And he said, oh, I'd love to go to Australia. He said, there's a lot of um, Aboriginals out there, aren't they? Uh, I said, yeah, and we start to talk about the outback. Got into a good conversation about Australia and the Aboriginals and how they live and all that sort of stuff. And then it's a funny thing, Sam. At that night, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, I um, was work, walking through um, Piccadilly in, in London, having a look at the sights and all that sort of stuff, and a taxi pulled up. It was Cassius Clay. And he, he wound down the window and he said, Hey, Scott, do you want to lift anywhere? How stupid was I? I said, oh, I said No, oh, oh, Cassius, good. Yeah, no, I'm okay. No, oh, no, no problems, mate. I should have got in the cab. I still kicked myself. Have you got a favourite Olympic moment that yeah, stands but, out, that endures, Scotty? Yeah, favourite Olympic moment, um, I got, well, Mandela, yes. It was Barcelona. And uh, Steve, remember Stephen Phillips? Yeah, of course. 
Well, he was the cheapest star for Channel 7 at that stage for the Olympics. And he said, hey, Scott, there's word that Nelson Mandela was um, going to visit the um, athlete's village. Uh, why don't you go down and see if you can find him? See if you can see him. Take a cameraman. So we went down. We went through all the red tape to get into the village. We walked around for a while and couldn't find anything. And I went up to this gatekeeper and I said, listen, um, have you seen Nelson Mandela walk around here at all? He said, yeah, he just went up those stairs there. I said, oh, hello, come on, up we go. So I went up the stairs and there was a long aisle with all rooms from out both sides. And we went, tested every room. Finally, we went into one and there he was. He was talking to some... South African officials. I said, now, just wait. And as soon as he breaks off this conversation, we're going to uh, go straight up there and, and introduce ourselves. So that happened. We walked straight up. And I said, I'm Scott Palmer from the Australian media. And he said, oh, Australia, yeah. And um, I said, what are you here for, Mr. Mandela? He said, oh, well, we're back in the... Um, Olympics, South Africa, and I'm, I'd like to. I wanted to see how the boys were were settling in and all that sort of stuff. And we got into a bit of a conversation on that. When do you think you could come to Australia? And he said, I'd love to. He said, but there's a lot to do at, at home before I get around to travelling overseas. We we took photos and all, and I went back to uh, seven, and we missed the news. And uh, I said, I got. Mandela and uh, Stephen said oh geez we just missed the news we might have to wait a, wait a bit but just then NBC the American Broadcasting Service came in and said we believe you've got some film of Nelson Mandela and they said uh, yes they said do you think we could borrow it so uh, they, they, Channel 7 said sure so they took the film and they said, Scott, why don't you go down and see what they do with it? So I went down to the NBC office and uh, then sat down and watched myself on American TV. Scotty, the game today and the coverage of it, I mean, do you sit back and marvel at just how big it has become? Oh, it's unbelievable. It really is. There's more, there's more opinion writers now. Blokes have got egos. A lot of them have got so many egos. It's unbelievable. Well, I, I was just a, a, a sort of a, a backroom boy, you know, and um, that's how it started for me. But now they want to be up there doing this, doing that, and break. Everything has to be exclusive. The, just tell the story. That's all you have to do. Tell the story. There's so many wonderful stories around that aren't even covered. It's amazing. It really is. It's all about all about branding now, you reckon, Scott? It is. It is, yeah, yeah. But, you know, it gets gets on my goat the way they say, this is exclusive, we've got it first, and all this sort of stuff. Who cares whether you've got it first or not? Tell it promptly and give, give them something that they haven't heard before. That's the key. And and make it interesting. Make it, there's a bit of entertainment involved in it. That's why that front bar is such a good show. It tell, tells it differently. Mar and... And uh, all those guys do a good job on that. We truly lost one of a kind with the passing of Scott Palmer, an outstanding journalist who revolutionised how Australian footy was covered. Indeed, he was an entertainer as much as a journalist and his legacy will live on.
Keep on punching, Scotty. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to This Is Your Journey for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Jump online to find them at tobinbrothers.com.au and we'll catch you the next time we celebrate another great sporting journey. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals. all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.